Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim Vibe podcast. My name is Salim Qasim and I'm the chief editor of the Muslim Vibe and today I am joined by none other than the deputy editor, Afra Mansour. Salam, how are you guys doing? Well, yeah, they can't hear me. Anyway, <laughs> how are you doing, Salim? I'm good, I'm good. What about you? <laughs> I'm not too bad. I'm uh, quite excited today, actually. We're joined by none other than Duha Al-Hassani. She is a silver medalist in Taekwondo, and hopefully we'll be talking to her a little later yep. about some of her achievements. And that comes from the back end of uh, one of the topics that we had on the Muslim Vibe. Do you care to share that for us? <laughs> yeah, the story about Kubra Dagli, the Turkish Taekwondo fighter who won a gold medal recently. Yeah and made headlines unfortunately for the wrong reasons just by virtue of the fact that she she was wearing a hijab no truly they have nothing else to speak about any longer (laughs) seriously it's kind of sick of it but uh yeah we'll get onto that but first we're going to be talking about hajj both of us having just come back and i think just a bit of reflections because we realized that we didn't actually do a piece on the vibe after we came back even though we promised hasid that we would and he's not happy with us so we thought we'd just discuss that so, um, for those of you that don't know, both myself and Salim this year headed for the journey into the heart of Islam for the pilgrimage of Hajj. Um, for both of us, this was our first time, um, and we had a thousand expectations, a thousand opinions, and then nothing actually compares to actually getting there and experiencing, you know, seeing the Kaaba for the first time. So, um, Salim, if I can kind of pick on you on this one, mm. what were your thoughts when you first saw the Kaaba? Uh, <laughs> my my thoughts are very interesting. Like I, I got there and I remember I could hear people in our group that were like crying and yeah, I people that, were like yeah. really in the zone and I was just sat there dumbfounded because I didn't know what I was looking at. Yeah. Because I had this expectation that you're like going towards God, mm. and and it's a journey towards God. That's what people talk about and yeah. talk about Hajj, and then you get there and there's this big black cube in front of you. Yeah. And it's like well. That's not God. Yeah. So So what is it? What is it? Why am I here? And it, I think it must have taken me about a week to kind of understand and to, to, to feel at ease with where I was and yeah. what this was. And it's quite difficult. I think it's really, really difficult. I, I mean, what about you? I mean, I think inter- interesting, uh, interestingly, what happened is, is we were told, you know what, don't raise your head. We'll tell you when you first see the Kaaba because apparently that's like the, the most special moment. And... Um, Every, like you said, everyone around me was crying. I'm like, what, do I lift my head? Do I look now? Am I going to see the Kaaba? And uh, when I saw it, I, uh, you know, I, I just became speechless. I just didn't know what to say, what to think. And, you know, I, I did I did cry myself as well because I was just like, I'm here. You know, this is something that I've always heard about, always dreamed about. Um, everyone always says that the Kaaba is a lot smaller, like when you when you look at it. But I'm, I'm standing there, I'm, th- I'm looking at this, you know, monstrosity of a building. I'm thinking, how's this tiny? But, um... You're right. I mean, like you said, everyone says that, you know, it's it's even called the house of God, you know, the Kaaba itself. And it's kind of like, am I expecting to find God, mm. you know, yeah, yeah. metaphorically sitting inside? What is it? Do I have to open my heart up to it? So there were a lot of things that just didn't make sense, like you said, the first time. But then by the time you leave, it's uh, it's crazy to think that you won't be actually seeing the Kaaba again. It, I think that's one of the things that made it so difficult yeah. um, when we finished Hajj. But um, Hajj itself, what did you think of, you know, everyone says that Hajj is a holiday, you know, you can totally get out of town, do Hajj for a few weeks and then come back. I, I, I'm still, honestly, still recovering from the, the cough that I had out there. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's really, really tiring. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, obviously, as, as, as a ritual, the fact that you know 
you're guaranteed that on the day of Arafah your sins are all forgiven yeah. and that you come back with a clean slate that's amazing you know no one can guarantee you that anywhere else at any other point doing yeah. anything else definitely um, as a Muslim so it's it's magical in that sense but it's I found it I found it quite obviously tiring and, yeah. and it, it does take a lot out of you and then they, they, I remember people that have been on previous years always talk about like the Hajj flu when you get back and I was kind of fine until I got home and then as soon as I reached home that's when it hits you that's when it hits <laughs> you and, and I think both of us were out of the office for at least three four days yeah no it, it was actually insane it was really <laughs> strenuous I mean I was telling my sister the other day that I need a holiday because you just got back from Hajj I was like no 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 it was so strenuous you mm. can't count it as a holiday um, and one of the days I was actually I had my phone with me and I was doing the whole step count I was like let me see how much this is and we ended up doing like 30 kilometers worth of walking for that one day I think you know what day I'm talking about when we were going up to towards Minna and it was absolutely insane and you have people left right and center and you're just you're just this one person sure I mean we're in a group but at the end of the day it's it's a journey between yourself and your lord so to speak I think one of the things that was interesting is we were we were doing Instagram stories and we were posting pictures on Instagram we did snapchat one day on another account and we did this all not during the Hajj time itself time itself we did it before and when it came to Hajj, we both said that we just weren't going to yeah. touch any social media, not even like I, I was, you know, we weren't on our phones at all. Because yeah. it is a very unique couple of days when you just have that time and that time alone where you're you're doing something special, especially when you go for the first time. Yeah. You're not going to get that experience back. And um, it was... It was very detoxing, I think, as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think one of the things that um, one of our leaders, one of our spiritual leaders said is that you shouldn't be ashamed to kind of just get lost. Um, shouldn't be scared of getting lost. Just kind of lose yourself in a crowd. And um, on the day of Arafat, after we'd finished um, all the deeds and the recitations and whatever it was, um, you, I mean, personally, I walked into the, the, the encampments around uh, the mountain and it was spectacular just seeing people from different walks of life and the way that certain camps, you know, some of them had no shade, some of them had like AC. And I, I think, I mean, we were quite spoiled, I think, in comparison to other groups. But um, it was it was really strange to see the ways that everyone worships and, and follows things up in different ways. But ultimately, their goal, their, you know, what they're doing it for is purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just for the sake of, of cleansing yourself and reaching that, that nearness. Mm. And I think the thing that really struck out is uh, my favorite topic, Arab privilege. Because, uh, I mean, I'm saying this as an Arab myself. Don't get me wrong, this isn't a non-Arab or whatever. I'm an Arab myself, and that's where you really see it. You see the racism that they have towards people that aren't, you know, from their own, you know, my backyard or whatever you want to call it. People like Salim, he's a brownie. Um, yeah. I don't think you can say that. <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, no, it, it's quite sad. Like, I saw, uh, obviously, even even inside the Kaaba itself, you know, just beside it, some of the ways that they people were being treated, mm. you know, they'd speak to people in Arabic. If they don't understand, they'd actually be quite rude, you know, people that are there. And it's really sad because the essence of Hajj is to be one brotherhood, one nation, one ummah. But you don't really see it all the time. Mm. I mean, I, I think w- w- one of the issues I found is that in the rituals, in in what we're actually doing on Hajj, it's beautiful, and it's, for example, the ihram that you wear, you know, yeah. two white pieces of cloth for men, no jewelry. You can't have anything that kind of 
has any form of worldly attachment. Yeah. Nothing that distinguishes you. Nothing from that distinguishes well. you, yeah. and you know the fact you can't look in a mirror, you can't uh, use perfume, all of these things. So literally, it's everyone there, and what it is it is, and even even the fact that you're wearing an ihram, which is white, which is like what you wear when you die as well, your kafan. Yeah. It's it kind of just re- reminds you, and, and in this period, you're no longer your 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 physical body is nothing. It's just that that vessel that you happen to be in, and this is all about you and God. And it's so amazing. And then in contrast, unfortunately, yeah. what happens with the people and, and you know, the way some people behave and, and the pushing and this and that. And it's, it's a shame. But at the same time, I think, you know, we have to also be able to rise above it and give people 70 excuses. I mean, the, the fact is we're privileged in that we can come at quite leisurely. Um, in quite a leisurely way uh, there's there's one one story someone was telling me a few years ago he was sat next to someone praying and uh, they just struck up a conversation and he asked the guy you know where's he come from whatever the guy said that he came from from a village um, in Africa I can't remember exactly where and in this village everybody every year chips in to one central pot and then they pick one name out of a hat and that person goes for Hajj so it's literally once in a lifetime whereas for us we save up enough money and we decide we can go again. I can well, do this year. I can get a holiday. I can yeah, this, this yeah. is the thing, and, and and so we're so fortunate. And I think you know we don't appreciate the fact that people, you know, almost go to hell and back just to be there. And for us, it's a lot easier, and we definitely take it for granted. No, definitely. I mean, one of my uncles, um, one of my uncles lives in Iraq, and he he's put his uh, name into this whole pot, and then trying to see if he can actually get the chance to go to Hajj. When I told him I was going, he was how long have you been preparing? I was like, um. <laughs> A month? <laughs> it's like seriously, there's no way that you, you when you didn't have an issue trying to apply. Whatever, I was like, no, I, you know, I, I, I messed up the funds, I sorted out work and everything, yeah. whatever, and I upped and left. And it's that easy for us. And like you said, it's quite unfortunate that others don't have that chance. Yeah, for for those of you that haven't had the chance, um, we pray that you hopefully get the chance to do so, um, pretty pretty soon. Because it's it's a anything that we say, I think, just pales in comparison um, to what it's truly like. Can I ask you what your kind of one or two take-home points are from the experience of Hajj? Like, what have you brought back with you? On a, if I if I can say on a community level, I think the fact is that there's so much disadvantage around the world, and there's so much that we can do, um, because you see a lot of these people at that point in Hajj seeing the disadvantage, and those all kind of coming together for the sake of God. So I think. Ideally, we can all work together to solve quite a lot of issues in the world by coming together and getting past that. And secondly, just getting past our our own differences and being able to to discuss, to speak, to actually come together as people mm. um, to change the world that we live in. I think w- one of the interesting things off the back of that is that it's, it's quite sad almost that whilst on Hajj, you kind of only stick to your own group that you've travelled with. Yeah. I mean, we just happen to be travelling the same group. Yeah. Um, but we didn't re- I, obviously you have conversations here and there but generally it's very much like a group thing click thing yeah whereas whereas the no, you know the notion of Hajj is that it's meant to be like 3 million people are there and it's just a sea of people and it's just a sea of people it is, Each, it all is. the groups do make that up but it would be so nice if everyone was there as an individual just kind of as you said getting lost in the crowd and, and being at one with everyone and with part of that whole Ummah thing but it, I mean it is but when you know I remember going on the first or second day 
on the third floor of the Haram where you can look down at the Kaaba, yeah. at the and I think there are some pictures and videos from our Instagram from up there on our Instagram from up there, yeah. and it's just crazy. Like even though you see you see these groups, it's like it's just a sea of people, and they move as one, and it's 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 actually insane to see the way that everyone just blends in together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have the odd color here and there just to signify a different group or a different region, but ultimately everyone's everyone's one. Yeah. Everyone's one. I think that's something that we've kind of taken for granted in our own uh, communities. I think one thing for me was that, you know, before we went out, uh, I was advised to read books and listen to lectures and this and that. And like you kind of prepare and, and you, you have a rough idea as to what's going on. And as you know, when you get there as well and you start seeing some of the things you understand. Yeah. But literally nothing can. I guess prepare you, prepare you but also the fact that you know if you try and make a books version or a lecture that you've heard that version of what had should be or their experience if you try and make yours and mold yours around that it doesn't really work yeah and you know sometimes people talk about the day of Arafah being the, the most amazing thing some people talk about Mina some people talk about Muzdalifah so everyone has their own little thing and, and their own yeah. kind of um, take on it and, and what it means and whatever but I think you know, f- for me, fundamentally, what I realized out there about halfway through is that essentially it's worth just chucking the book out the window, doing these things, and then actually thinking about what it means for you and, and what you want to take away from it. Yeah. Because ultimately, when you come back home, you, you have your clean slate, but all you have is your, your conviction and, and the drive that you kind of set out there to, to come back a new person. Nothing else changes. Yeah. People think, oh, you go on Hajj, you come back a different person. You don't. You come back exactly the exactly same person. Exactly the same person. <laughs> Just sinless. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's very easy to rack up those sins again. But you need to, you really need to have that resolve. Definitely. I think also quite importantly is the fact that you have to kind of get along with people that you might not necessarily get along with. Or, you know, if you're sharing the same room with the same people for three weeks, like you can have petty issues over like AC and things like that. But um, it's rising above those issues and really understanding why you're there. I mean, I think what when it really hit me that we'd finished the Hajj, I was um, I'd finished everything and I decided I had coverage on my phone. So I decided to FaceTime my grandparents. And uh, this was Eid day, and the first thing they said is "Salam Hajjia," and I was like, "Did did my grandparents just call me? You know, give me the title of someone that's been to Hajj." And it really hit me because it is a responsibility to kind of go to that place and to make that commitment between yourself and between your Lord, obviously, to kind of change yourself because change isn't—it's not something that happens mm. on a three-week journey and whatever. It, it's uh, it's something that happens inside, and that's when you have to start building up from it. It's the again what you were saying about getting on with people. It's it's not like a you know it's not like a holiday, no. uh, especially you know because Hajj is is such a sort of peak time. It's like five people in a room. Uh, it's obviously gender segregated. So like even f- for me to be able to try and see my wife out there was difficult, and like she would message me, and I wouldn't have Wi-Fi in my room, and then I'd go down to find her, and she'd be sleeping, or she had gone out, and it's yeah. really really difficult. But it's it's a nice time as well. I, I think personally, you know, the the guys that I shared a room with, and I, I some of them I knew quite well from before. But yeah. it it just solidifies that relationship, and you've got that thing with everyone in the group. Yeah. Where it's like we've shared this experience together, and it's something that you you remember for your whole life. Yeah. No, it truly is something that you you remember. But um, please, if you do have any stories, any things that you've brought back from Hajj, um, please do share them with us um, by getting in touch. So one of the stories that actually gained quite a lot of coverage was uh, our previous topic on Kubra Dagli, 
Cobra Dugley is the winner of a gold medal in the Pumse team category um, for the World Taekwondo Championships. And what happened is we received quite a lot of uh, interest in the topic. Quite a lot of uh, people on Twitter, Facebook have been commenting on this. Um, and the reason for this, most importantly, is the fact that this lady wears a hijab. So uh, the hijab once more is in the sphere. And I think it's quite interesting considering last week um, the UN saw Wonder Woman to be the most important person to be ambassador for gender equality. Joined today, we uh, joining us today, sorry, is Duha Al Hassani, a 20-year-old athlete and Taekwondo enthusiast. Um, quite importantly, I think, is the fact that she's a national Taekwondo silver medalist uh, and is someone who's all for women empowerment. So, um, Baha, thank you for joining us today. For those of you, which is everyone, <laughs> that can't actually see, she just dabbed. She just dabbed. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Thank so, you for um, having me. Thank you. So, uh, tell us a bit about uh, the work that you do. Uh, well, I started doing Taekwondo this year, February, and um, I fell in love with it ever since. And um, I've competed quite a lot as well. I've done around 10 competitions so far. And inshallah, many more to come. Yeah. So uh, after a year, you're you're a silver medalist at a national level. Yeah, um, I was. I think it's just I was just naturally gifted in it. I I really enjoyed it as soon as I started, and I kept um, going back to training sessions, training five five days a week, and um, I just fell in love with it. I guess, yeah. Do Do you not like walk away with broken noses and things like that? I can't imagine training <laughs> is like. <laughs> yeah, no, it can't be quite, easy. yeah, especially my club, it's quite savage. Um, yeah, I've got a broken rib right now. Uh, as, I've, we as we speak. Um, Does it I've, hurt to speak? Um, it did, but it's healing. Wow. Yeah, so it's okay. It, it hurts when I lift my arm, but I'm, I'm, I'm alive, alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah, um, I've broken my nose, uh, two black eyes. I've, I've, had a, I've had my fair share of injuries, yeah. And uh, coming back to the story about Cobra, um, yeah. what are your thoughts generally? And obviously also thinking about the UN having mm. picked a, a comic book hero as yeah. opposed to a real life person. Yeah. How does that make you feel? You know, What do you think of what she's achieved? Well, um, first of all, choosing a fictional character is quite... Um, I don't want to say stupid, but I think we should actually pick someone who's actually achieved something in real life. Someone we could actually look up to and relate to. Um, Kubro being a really good example of that. She, um, I like the fact that she didn't respond to the negativity as well. She sort of just took it, and we should be celebrating her her success as an athlete instead of that girl that won the the world taekwondo championships in a hijab. Um, I don't I don't like the fact that that's become the focus instead of actually her talent. Yeah, I mean, she even spoke about this in, in one of her interviews. She says, they don't mm. speak of my success, but of my headscarf. She says, I don't want this, our success, because mm. obviously she was, she was with uh, Amir yeah. Han Moran. Yeah. Um, our success should be discussed because we made so much effort. And the fact is, is that once more, we're back into this debate about hijab and just yeah. what a woman can and can't do. Yeah. I mean, do you ever feel that hijab restricted you or prevented you from, you know, playing or, you know, following your dream? Um not not so much playing when people ask me oh what do you do and i tell them taekwondo especially non-muslims they're quite surprised but they're 
they're happy at the same time like oh wow i didn't know you guys could do that and oh yeah you know it's really weird and like oh do they let you wear your headscarf when you fight i'm like yeah they do <laughs> just underneath the head guard you know it's like we could do the same things that but th there is a there is a club a boxing club in america mm. that doesn't allow a, a hijabi boxer to y box with the, the head thing scarf. is with boxing it's a lot more um it's a lot harder because the uniform isn't exactly modest with taekwondo the reason why there's so many hijabi taekwondo fighters, I mean, this year um, we had two hijabis who got bronze medals in uh, Rio. Uh, one was from Egypt and the other was from Iran. Um, the reason why it's so popular with the hijabis is because the uniform is very modest. It's, it's quite wide as well. It's wide, it's long, um, they let you wear the headscarf and the actual martial art is quite sophisticated, if that makes sense. It's not, it's not grappling like in judo, it's not like punching that's the ITF Taekwondo but with WTF Taekwondo it's more kicking the body armor trying to score the point it's mm -hmm. if you watch it it's really um it's neat yeah that's the best way I can describe yeah, no, it we were discussing it earlier yeah. you said that it's, it's quite elegant at times yeah it's as well. quite elegant yeah exactly so in that sense I think that's why hijabi women would go for Taekwondo and it's quite yeah it's quite popular with with hijabis I mean, you mentioned the head guard, just out of curiosity. Yeah. Does the hijab ever get in the way or does it become like restricted? Uh, I just tuck it in, in my uh, dobok, which is my uniform. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my head guard sort of keeps my headscarf into place. <laughs> <laughs> no need for pins, right? Yeah, no need for pins. <laughs> no, no, not at all. If I get a head shot, then that's going straight through my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And, and what are your aspirations? Where do you see yourself in the next few years? <laughs> Um, hopefully I'm in route towards a black belt that's my that's my first goal and uh, inshallah I'm looking to, to join the national team whether it be my uh, my country my home country Iraq or the Great Britain team we'll see what happens I think that's a very interesting one as well so which country and why which which country? Um, do you feel British? Do you feel Iraqi? I feel British. Because most of us, we don't like. I don't have to decide. No one has to tell me. Okay, you either got to join this yeah. national team or that one. Yeah. I can just kind of be like, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I am what I am. But well, you, it depends which one accepts me first. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> if one declines, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to the other one. But um, honestly, it would be great to to represent my home country. It was Which is. Iraq. Okay. <laughs> uh, they've never won any Olympic medals in the history of the Olympics, so it would be nice to have something there. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. So Tokyo, twenty twenty. Oh, Do maybe I don't know. <laughs> let, let me get my black belt first. <laughs> if that does happen, you heard it here first. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first on the podcast. So just keep that in mind, guys. Yeah. But um, I think definitely the problem I think that a lot of people have an issue with Muslims in general um playing sports. I mean, I don't. We don't really hear much about. Muslims in sports. I mean, Muslim women or Muslims in general. Muslim women definitely. Yeah. I think Muslims in general just don't have this whole aesthetic of I should go into sports because everyone's kind of focused on oh I should be this I should be a doctor I should be whatever I don't know actually because the four for this year Rio Olympics uh, uh, Great Britain picked four people to represent us in Taekwondo mm -hmm. two male two female and both males were Muslim 
uh, Mohammed Cho and Mah- uh, Letaila Mohammed. Letaila Mohammed actually trained at our club. Oh, wow. um, but, yeah. Was he the one that got the sim- sil- silver medal? He got medal, silver medal. The most heartbreaking video. Second, the most heartbreaking video. Oh, it was video horrible. Yeah, he, he honestly deserved that. But yeah, um, no, he deserved the gold. He didn't deserve that. <laughs> 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 I just had to uh, rephrase. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, both of <coughs> both of them are, are Muslims. So yeah, we do we do get represented through. Generally, them. if you look at sports, you don't like if you look at the British Premier League. Mm. There aren't any British Muslim Muslims. footballers that I can even think of. Mm. Um, there's been very few generally throughout. Um, so from fo- other countries, right? Yeah, we have we have a lot maybe from other countries, but yeah. in the UK, the culture of the, you know the second and third generation immigrants yeah. um, that we have, you know being from Muslim families ourselves but yeah. they have come over from other countries yeah. there isn't that kind of I guess attention to sports yeah. I don't know we, we I think the, the motive is doctor lawyer <laughs> you know it's more <laughs> yeah it's more academic but um, no slowly slowly I think definitely in Tokyo 2020 we're going to be seeing a lot more hijabis a lot more hijabis um, I think Iran is a very good example of, of this because they have a lot of female athletes um, who represent them in the hijab, uh, in wushu as well, mm-hmm. in in a lot of sports, and I think more countries should be like like them. We have that video yeah. of the futsal team. Oh, the futsal team, yes. The futsal we'll team is unbelievable. In the, in the description, so you can check that one out for oh, sure. Okay. Um, just a question: Have you ever like faced any discrimination, like as a result of you wearing the hijab? Um, not me personally, but um, I've heard I've heard of other stories. You know, like people not being accepted into into a team because they're not wear, because they wear a headscarf. Um, but me personally, honestly, it's been a positive response. It's been a pos- positive response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, I think we don't really think about the positivity in the world out there. I mean, we're so bogged down with the negativity. The but, negativity um, actually comes from people of my culture, honestly. Like mm-hmm. the negativity comes from you know my my family, most uh, not my dad anymore. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, he's very supportive. But you know, when I tell my uncles or like cousins, um, they'd be like, "What?" Taekwondo. Yeah, but you can what just kick him in the head then. Can't yeah, you? I could. Yeah, but you know, I get in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's very taboo. Um, and I'm like the first person to do a martial art, um, a female, the first female to do a martial art in my family. So um, it's not looked at the best. It's more mocked or 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 seen as like, oh yeah, she's so masculine or you know, it's very yeah, it's a touchy subject with them. But that hopefully, is. it will turn around. Um, especially after this Olympics, you, you know, we had two medalists who were hijabis um, and they're getting represented, which is good. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can only pray for your continued success, inshallah. Inshallah. Um, and <laughs> again, if 2020 happens, you heard it here first. Oh, God, guys, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to your thoughts and feedback and hopefully some suggestions for our next topics. You can do so by emailing us on editor at themuslimvibe.com. Don't forget to connect on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribing to our podcast. Until next time, assalamu alaikum. <laughs>